What's up, y'all? I'm Deeg. Welcome to the Deeg Podcast. Today is an exciting day. It is the eve of the launch of New World, the MMORPG being released by Amazon Game Studios here in 2021. Finally, we're getting to see it for real. No more betas, no more alphas, no more resets. It's time to roll. And I'm excited. I'm going to be playing this game. Um, and of course, with the launch of a new exciting MMO comes the perennial question. Is this game a WoW killer? <laughs> okay, okay. Before you hate me, I think I have a novel argument to present here. What I'm going to do is show off what I see as arguments and discussions and points of view about the whole, the idea of the WoW killer. And then I'm going to tell you what I think no one else is talking about when it comes to this interesting phenomenon of people looking for this thing they call the WoW Killer. But without further ado, let's hear from Reddit, shall we? I actually uh, saved this post a while ago. This is two months old. Um, not very popular, but I think it really captures a, a dynamic here. Uh, it's submitted by user, last had, title, WoW. New World might actually be the WoW killer. I've seen so many people leave WoW to go to New World. The open world PvP, proximity chat, making it a lot more social than experience, buying towns, having real growing economy, having combat that actually requires the dodge and time attacks rather than auto-click. The top comment, which has way more votes than the post itself, from Big Chungus McClungus. This will be the 4,757th WoW Killer, then. Last hat, though. Not to be diminished. Not to be discouraged. Optimism not to be quenched. Responds. Man, you gotta look this game up. This is gonna be the one. And of course, Reddit being the bastion of sophistication and cynicism that it is, didn't much like this optimism. Which if you're watching the video, you can see reflected by the votes. I love this little, this little vista of the internet right here because it, it really talks about two very different forces in this discussion of what is a wow killer. The optimism and the cynicism that counterbalances it. But what is a WoW killer? What actually is this thing? Why do people want it? Well, let's hear from a few different perspectives around the community. I'm going to start with Preach, who is in a position to say a lot about World of Warcraft. This guy was the number one World of Warcraft content creator for a long time. And in this video, he announced he's calling it quits. This happened about two months ago. And in the very first couple of minutes, he explains... Why he's doing that. After so many years, the road has come to an end. Time to give up on World of Warcraft. Many of you may have seen floating around Twitter or on Reddit or on live streams, whatever it might be, is that we are stopping our coverage of World of Warcraft as of right now. 
Uh, this has not been an easy decision, as you can imagine. We have a team of people who work here now, putting stuff together for you guys to hopefully put a smile on your faces. That is all we aim to do. And uh, in terms of wow, we have to kind of stop right there. So I'm going to clarify a few things. Not everything is going away. And I'll explain why shortly. Um, let's do the reasons first. We get that out of the way. So first reason, obviously, is the recent Here allegations. That was really the straw that broke the camel's back. That is the tipping point. Um, to find out after all that we've been through with World of Warcraft since probably the beginning of BFA that on top of that this environment uh, has existed within Blizzard uh, to the point now where they're staging a walkout. I've just been checking and updating myself on this is that the staff are doing a walkout due to Blizzard's awful reprehensible response to an abhorrent situation that has been plaguing Blizzard for a very long time in terms of its harassment of women and then at that point I no longer feel comfortable promoting and advertising the game which is essentially what happens that is the relationship i hold with blizzard uh, with having a large audience is that we produce content we check out uh, content that's in development we get to see things a little bit earlier uh, in order to get that out to you guys as a promotional tool that's how blizzard sees it and in return we get to make fun content about a game we absolutely adore um i no longer feel comfortable doing that at all uh that's reason number one it's it's hard to get past that for me. It really is. It's too it's too hard. It's too big of a hill to climb. Yeah. So I'm getting this right out in front so we can get it out of the way. This summer, state of California, at the tail end of a private two year investigation, filed a lawsuit against Blizzard Entertainment alleging mistreatment and harassment of women in a systematic fashion throughout the, uh, not just Blizzard, but the World of Warcraft team specifically. And when this came out, a whole bunch of stories came out of the woodwork, and all of a sudden, we all realized that, for many of us, our favorite game was being made under the, the banner of sexual harassment and mistreatment. Um, and that is no fucking fun for anybody. As he mentioned, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Preach is going to go on and give some more reasons why he's moving on. And I think he's going to describe the foundation of his discontent upon which this was the straw that broke the back. I heard a very similar sentiment when I uh, got a chance to catch up again with Melderon, another ex-World of Warcraft content creator on the podcast last week. Very similar. There is discontent already. This is Charlie Brook the Camel's back. This is unfortunate, but today we're not going to go any further with this. This admittedly difficult and serious problem. Um, because we're here to talk about WoW killers. And this kind of points to something that the community likes to say, that the only thing that can kill World of Warcraft is World of Warcraft itself. Blizzard, Activision, you know, the crew. And this seems to be exhibit A in that argument. I'm not going to pursue this argument myself. Because to me, I think when people are talking about WoW killers, they're not talking about the destruction of World of Warcraft. They're talking about something that one-ups World of Warcraft. Something that does for World of Warcraft what World of Warcraft did for the gaming scene back in 2004. So I just wanted to get this one out of the way. We're going to move straight on to, I think, some of the more salient arguments to what constitutes a WoW killer in the sense that people use the term online, specifically gamers, 
when talking about their favorite game and their hopes for the future. And for that, we're going to rely on, yep, it's your boy, Asmin Gold. You kind of can't avoid this guy. And this specifically is an interview that he did, apparently kind of ad hoc, with the CEO of Intrepid Studios, which is making Ashes of Creation. A big, exciting new sort of crowdsourced MMO, sort of... Well, you'll hear the story of how it came to be in a moment here. But notice the title of this video. The Wow Killer. Asmongold interviews Ashes of Creation director Stephen Sharif. This is in the gamer subconscious. This wanting for the wow killer. Let's hear what these two gentlemen have to say about what it is they're looking for to get out of such a thing. Dude, if this game comes out yeah. with everything that's been promised and it's polished, wow's done. All right, here we go, boys. Yeah, okay, man. How's my how's my sound? If this gate comes out in good shape and it's polished, wow is done. Quality, by the way. I'm on my phone driving to Vegas, and I'm like in the middle of the desert. Surprisingly better than most streamers who make it a career to have their sound quality be pretty good. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, well, I wanted to say thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about this. Uh, I mean, I yeah. think we all really appreciate it. I mean, like you, I, I heard a little bit of your story about how you were kind of an MMO player who has been, uh, you know, as many of us, a little bit, maybe felt a little bit neglected and you thought about going your own way and so this is uh hmm. this is something you've been working on how long have you been working on the project for so yeah actually you know i started my first mmorpg as a as a kid at seven years old when it was like 1992 six dollars by the hour to play on seven years old in 92 that means he was born in 85 which means i'm older than him fuck yeah well it was sorry never winter the first never winter oh boy and, uh, <laughs> yeah six th since then you know i played pretty much every mmo out of the box and you know the story for intrepid and ashes of creation really stemmed from my last mmo that i was playing pretty heavily which was arc age about six seven years ago about yeah. six years ago and uh, i really loved that game like i felt it had a lot of great potential and i just got really fed up and upset with you know some of the design decisions and and let me know if i'm cutting out by the way but it'll um, probably be off and on it'll be all right yeah. fed up with some of the design decisions of mmos of his youth do y'all think asmongold's going to resonate with that complaint yeah. the, some of the design decisions really just kind of ticked me off and um you know I, I had a very large guild in that game and and I've had a large guild since I was one of my favorite MMOs I played back in like 2003 for many years was Lineage 2. A lot of inspiration I have for Ashes comes from like Lineage 2, Arc Age. A lot of people brought um, that up, actually. And, yeah, I, I thought Lineage 2 was a great game. I really like non-faction based games that, you know, leave kind of the, the you know, player agency to determine your friends and foes to the player. Um, so, so essentially, you know, I was in San Diego and San Diego is a, a great hotbed for developers. You know, we have a lot of studios around us. We had Sony online entertainment, which became daybreak. We had, you know, blizzard in Irvine. We had, uh, yep. you know, Amazon game studio and stuff. So, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big tabletop gamer as well. I love playing like Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40K. And a lot of the guys from Sony would play at my game shop. And, really? you know, I was, cool. I, I was, I was retired at like 29. And when I was fed up with Arcage and I'd said. Retired at 29? As a lifetime MMO gamer? Sorry. <laughs> He's got a funny message. Uh, sorry. Retired at 29 as an MMO gamer? What does Steven Sharif do? Uh, I'm sure there's an interesting story behind that. But 29 years old. That age. Something about that age. To these guys, I was like, hey, what do you think about making an MMORPG? Like, I'll fund it. Let's try to hire a bunch of people and see what we can do. So, you know, we started like 2015, 2016, kind of white papering out all of the designs that I had for Ashes, you know, all the different systems um, that exist. And uh, about 2017, we went to Kickstarter, not really as a means for funding. You know, I'm personally funding the entire project, but actually to, you know, add some additional features, but also mainly to get a, a litmus test on what the community thinks about many of our designs to um, see if there's a demand it, exactly yeah it's yeah. essentially to to test these this design theory because as you know and a lot of mmo players know you know there's been this kind of a, a paradigm shift towards a, a mentality of everybody's a winner and there's no longer a risk versus reward type of design philosophy and yes we've heard of that and that's, I can't stand that. I mean, it, it makes me, it really undermines what the genre was meant to be. And that doesn't go to say that there shouldn't be systems that are made for casual players and systems that are made for, for hardware players. You should have a diversity of progression paths. But, um, you know, I, I really got upset with that. So we wanted to make sure that these ideas resonated with the MMORPG genre. And that's, um, you know, what we did with Kickstarter was very successful. And that's when we started to really ramp up in the number of developers and, and the size of the studio and really started making significant progress in production. So we've been in production now for about three years, ever since Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, we have over 60, over 65 developers that are here in San Diego with some that are, you know, outside elsewhere wow. in, in the world. And then we're ramping up right now. We just launched another hiring phase with uh, 24 positions available at the studio that we're promoting. <clears throat> So whenever you're talking about the Kickstarter and the kind of feedback that you guys have gotten, is there any specific feature in the game that was actually kind of thought of by people in the Kickstarter? Or are these just kind of all ideas that you've come up with and just different people have enabled them to happen? Yeah, there really really wasn't ideas that we took, so to speak, from a system or mechanic standpoint from Kickstarter. All of these designs are, you know, essentially designs that I created as, as kind of inspiration from the many MMORPGs that I've played in the past, each of which, you know, contains some, you know, reference to maybe a system that is in ashes that I thought did well. And I just thought, why not combine all of these systems together into a game that represents a wide array of, of player ability to kind of focus in the direction and progress in a direction that they want? blizzard on crack dude yeah exactly i mean that that's something that we're obviously we still you know providing a truly pbx kind of experience so that's steven sharif talking to asmongold director of ashes of creation 
What's the shared grief here? What's the same thing that both of these guys are responding to? They don't like the design of experiences that, that, that they've had. So this video, calling out the idea of the wow killer, just based on the first five minutes of this interview, and I've listened to the rest of it in the past, so I'm not mischaracterizing it, is basically a suggestion that a wow killer should be a game an experience that's better designed than World of Warcraft. You can kill WoW by out-designing it. This is the idea that Stephen Sharif has. This is the idea that Asmongold has spouted many times. Y'all think that's true? Rexaloid in the chat just said, TF2, TF2 killer, WoW killer, League killer. Good luck with those. Some games are just not are just good enough or refined enough to not be killable. I think there's some truth in that. So a couple other things from this discussion I wanted to pick out. Um, Stephen Shreve retired at 29. Let's see, if he was born in 85, that 29 would have been um, 2014. And he started this project in 2015, so about 30 years old. So here's a funny coincidence. Stephen Sharif started this Ashes project with his wealth at the same age that Asmongold is when he's giving this interview. Does that mean something? I feel like it could mean something. Something about stages of life and improving upon the world you were presented as a younger person. But what I really just wanted to call out here is this idea that the WoW killer is the game that outdesigns World of Warcraft. A very commonly held and discussed idea in the gamer scene. I think largely because it's something you can actually talk about. It focuses on the game itself. What is actually inside the game that is wrong or, diff or or could be better, and how can you improve what's inside of it to make it better, to make a better cake? Okay. Next argument for what is a wow killer? This is a clip from the conversation I had with Melderon last week. And he talks about the way that some players we're engaging with World of Warcraft Classic, a game that I think was pursued by many as a retail WoW killer. Let's hear what Melderon has to say. I think Asmongold just embodied and personalized that exact experience. I think everyone is having that that's our age. Yeah. And I think, it, it, or at least people who play WoW, and he said, I, you know, I, I don't want to grow up. Yeah, but for most people, it was reliving their childhood, which is impossible when you have a child or, or a job right. or, a, you okay. know, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So do you think that there are some people who were able to relive their childhood by replaying WoW Classic? It's really weird to be listening to myself on my own podcast. I'm just putting that out there. I think people tried really hard and lost some things like I, what? I think people jobs relationships um 
I know people who went high warlord and just no life the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know people who would <clears throat> not sleep. You know, I think people tried to do that, and and you will inevitably fail. Not not because you're a bad person or a bad player or not good at the game, because you're just a different person now, and yeah. you have much more responsibilities, and you can't sit in your dorm room or your mom's house or your dad's house or your basement. You can't do that anymore, right? So yeah. it's it's this. Some people maybe, but but you know. <clears throat> We aren't those people anymore. And I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. The biggest letdown of Classic WoW is not the gameplay, not that mm-hmm. the bosses are easy, not this and not that. It's because their image of what what their world was going to look like didn't match when the game came out. I think that's the big yeah. unveil for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I love the way you said that. I th- you really rang a bell for me. What you just said, I think is the unstated critique behind so much frustration that we hear within the gaming scene of the game is shit, garbage, trash, developers lazy, bad, stupid, you know, sexist, whatever. And, you know, gamers are rarely right about their diagnosis of the situation, mm-hmm. but they're right about how they feel. And I, I really have this strong intuition that what they feel might be rooted in what you just said. I think there's people that just uh, played the game and realized right away it wasn't for them anymore. Yeah. I think there's those people. And I think there's some people who wanted something out of it and didn't get that thing. And I think that's not because of the game, but because of the um, impossible expectations they put on themselves and the world, right? Yeah. Or or, or the, the experience. Like... Just because Classic Wild is coming out in 2019 doesn't mean you're going to be in that safe place you were as a child. Yeah. You know, yeah. before you had all these responsibilities and just soaked yourself into this game forever and right. and all your all your troubles went away. As a kid, you can do that. As an adult, you can't. You can, but it, it's just always there and creeps up. Your parents uh-huh. can't save you. you. You know, you're... I don't know. When you're a child, when, when you're young, even in college, as I was, as we were when the game came out... Yep. There's a safety net. There's still this. It, it, the net starts to fray as time goes on, but it's still there. And I think that people in their 30s, the safety net's pretty much gone, mm-hmm. and you can't really rely on everything else anymore. And I think that's Asmongold's been talking about it recently. You know, he's been mm-hmm. talking about um, Dr. K, who's that therapist. Um, I love his content. Yeah, so do I. His conversation he did with Asmongold, the most recent one. Yes, that's what I'm talking that about. That is a banger of a conversation. Yeah. Holy shit. And that's exactly, I think Asmongold just embodied and personalized that exact experience. I think everyone's having that. That's our age. Yeah. And I think, it, it, or at least people who play WoW. And he said, I, you know, I, I don't want to grow up. Yeah. You know, he said that. He doesn't want his parents to die. He doesn't want, you know, he, he's, he foresees a time when gaming will come to an end for him, you know? Mm-hmm. There's only one constant universe, and it's change, right? That's the only one. And uh, except for you know, speed of light. Okay, we have physical properties that are that are unchanged. Okay, Mister Scientist. As, yeah. <laughs> but as far as people, right? Uh-huh. As far as people, the only thing constant for us is change. That's it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's the hardest pill to swallow for every person who's ever existed on this planet, right? Is that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I think 
I think a lot of people thought Classic WoW was going to stop that, stop the change, stop the clock, or yeah, and it 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 can't, and well, and it's it is, and it has aged. Let's let's just be admit it; it has aged. Yeah. What a great conversation that was. Shout out to Melderon, a real warm, earthy soul. So just to be obvious about it, if you take the wow killer question and feed it through the lens of this observation, the players are approaching these, these games with the goal of recapturing childhood, the, the futile goal of recapturing childhood. And you just can't do that. You just can't go home again. You just can't unbite the fruit from the tree of good and evil. I read somewhere recently in like a cognitive science article or something like that, that when we lie to ourselves, what we're not doing is convincing ourselves of something that's not true. What we're doing is something very different. Because there's no way for us to make ourselves believe something is true that we know isn't true. If we see a door and we see it's painted white, we can't believe that it's colored red. We can say it's colored red. We can act like it, perhaps. But this creates a dissonance within us, which can hurt us. Yeah. I don't think I need to add anything here. But this is one of the things that I think people are going after. People are seeking from the WoW killer. Now. What I've just done is presented, I think, some of the lower resolution interpretations of WoW killer. Number one that it's a, some kind of an inherent corruption of the WoW experience itself, either by the introduction of systems people hate or by internal strife within Blizzard or whatever it could be. Number two, the people are looking for an experience that's like WoW, but better designed. That it's just a better version of WoW, WoW that's actually good. Number three, the people are looking to recapture a moment in their life where they felt safe, or thrilled, or completely immersed and occupied with the world of Azeroth and Warcraft. But what I really think people are really most directly pointing at when they ask after a WoW killer, when, what's his name? The guy from Reddit says, is New World the WoW killer? The game I'm going to start playing tomorrow and probably pour an irresponsible amount of my life into over the next few weeks and months? Well, people are asking themselves, is this a cultural moment? Am I going to be able to be part of a sort of cultural revolution by playing this game? Because that is what World of Warcraft was. Let's have Mr. T explain it. T, and this is my night elf mohawk. 
Scott, T, there's no such thing as a night elf mohawk. Shut up, fool! Like I was saying, my mohawk storms through mighty forests on his frost saber. My mohawk... T, it's a warrior, not a mohawk. Well, maybe Mr. T hacked the game and created a mohawk class. Maybe Mr. T's pretty handy with computers. Has that occurred to you, Mr. Condescending Director? I'm Mr. T and I'm a night elf mohawk. What's your game? World of Warcraft. Try it for free at warcraft.com. Rated T for team. I love that ad. I love that ad. What else? World of Warcraft gained such popular adoption. It printed culture. It ascended beyond the realm of the, the internet and the, the, the internet forums that existed and the nerds that would come together over IRC and ICQ. It became a much bigger thing. It blew up like the iPhone or like Coca-Cola. It became a brand known worldwide. I, I got a clip here from South Park. It's what you think it is. Um, this might get trimmed from the from the YouTube VOD. We'll see if YouTube lets me put it out there. All right, major stone shield potions should be... Oh, God, I'm going to have diarrhea again. Uh, uh, you can't go to the bathroom. You're stacking Sunder armor. <laughs> it's okay. Ma'am, bathroom. What, hon? Bathroom! Bathroom! Oh, this is so painful. Ugh. Oh, that's a big boy, isn't he? Alright, Kenny, drink your elixir of the mongoose. I'm now going to use mocking blow. <laughs> of course he's a warrior. World of Warcraft, I need to play! Our demo was set up right over by the... Alright, we're not going to watch all this. Fantastic episode of South Park. <laughs> this game is bigger than the login screen it's bigger than the world it's bigger than the class you play it's part of something more important that didn't just give people something in their seats in their chairs it gave them something that felt bigger and broader what, what, and one of my favorite things about a game like this are moments like the one I'm about to show you, where you get to hear a thousand nerds all nerd scream at the same time. This is the WoW Classic announcement. Ice cream is one of my favorite desserts. Personally, I love chocolate, and I love cookies and cream. Cookies and cream is actually my all-time favorite dessert. This is so well written. But I stand, understand that for some of you, your favorite flavor is vanilla. It ain't just about the game. People don't scream for, for just games. It's about the thing that it represents. Last but not least, as an evidence of culture, I'm going to play the first couple minutes from the World of Warcraft LFG documentary. Couple good moments here.
And I apologize because this is mostly visual, so it might be a little boring on the audio version. But it won't be long. The theater at Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. People filing in. World of Warcraft cinematic reveal. People in sandals, sneakers, jeans, sweats. Looking for A dark theater. We will never be slaves! Still gives me fucking goosebumps. Chris Metzen on the way. What up? Good morning, Los Angeles. How's everybody doing? Chris, thanks again, man. Pleasure, man. So now we're backstage. Awesome. Kind of, kind of crazy little gig, you know? <laughs> yeah. What's the quickest way to the Metzen lobby? Metzen is just schmoozing. Just straight down that way. Thanks, man. all these people hundreds it's a hell of a thing to have grown up geek you know, i had friends around me that were geeky we played D, &D and you know we'd, we'd talk shop about comics and things like that but you know my family was not geeky my immediate you know my siblings i didn't understand growing up geek sweet thank you very oh, much good, sir. Man. We're good to meet you what's your name eugene good to meet you man nice what'd you, you think of that it was awesome it was great yeah it was kind of kick-ass yeah i love the way like being called the rise of geek culture is a lifelong card-carrying member of that group. I just kind of think everybody else is catching up. But what I do think is great about it is that whatever you're passionate about, you know, whether you're a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan or a World of Warcraft fan or a Marvel fan, whatever it is, I think what we've started to see is people celebrating things that they believe in and they're passionate about. Literally tears in my eyes. It felt like it brought us back. I mean, the whole series. It's all I want to hear, man. It, yeah, especially the, even the Lord's Award thing. I'm just geeked oh, up. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh my God! What was that? Yes. <laughs> we only really ever built games to please ourselves. I wanted to work on World of Warcraft because I, I wanted to play in a world like World of Warcraft. Metzen, the, the incomparable and the unconquered. Couple things. Growing up geek. Yo, I'm 38 years old. I was what people would call an adult when this game came out. I was 21. I remember those years before being 21, though. I remember reading Star Wars books in the lunchroom by myself. I remember talk, wanted, trying to find people to talk to about the N64 and how I was excited about it. I remember finding the one person in my friend group who'd read Wheel of Time and would talk to me about it. I know this sounds like a stupid recollection, 
Because the world has changed, Young. The world has changed. So just like that, that exec, just saying a moment ago. The idea of being a geek or a nerd, it used to be more of a pejorative thing. But I grew up through that change in the world. And World of Warcraft is one of the forces that had a huge impact on changing that, on normalizing that way of being. And now you see it everywhere. Fortnite, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Being a geek, what used to be called a geek, is now just being a person. And that doesn't happen out of nowhere. It takes major artistic and technological um, achievements to do that. And World of Warcraft was one of those. But it didn't come out of nowhere, right? Metzen was just saying. He made the game he wanted to play. How did he figure out what he wanted to play? Well, he probably had a very similar thought experiment to what Stephen Sharif and Asmongold were just talking about. What have I played and what would I like to see changed? What did these guys play? They played EverQuest. Which by itself has, by the way, a real amazing story of how EverQuest ever came about. If you're curious, look up John Smedley in EverQuest someday. That man, that man rolls the dice. And EverQuest itself was inspired by games like Ultima, Richard Garriott, Lord British, which was itself inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. We all stand on the shoulders of giants, y'all. No, nothing is created from the raw basic stuff anymore. So what was it that made this game so special? What made it a cultural revolution? Was it the Warcraft IP, which had had success as a real-time strategy game and was accepted as a on the, the PC platform? Was it about the emphasis on accessibility, which was a big change from EverQuest and re reducing consequences of death or the art style? I mean, it was all those things, but I think that those are things that tend to get focused on about what made WoW so special. In my mind, the thing that gets left out of the conversation are the externalities. Y'all seen this chart before, right? If you're listening to this in audio, I'm just going to briefly describe. This is the famous chart of World of Warcraft subscribers over time. It's broken down by year, and it's chunked off per expansion, starting with the vanilla launch in 2004, all the way up through um, Warlords of Draenor, when, after a cataclysmic drop in users, Blizzard stopped advertising the number of World of Warcraft subs publicly. You can see the chart starting from zero subscribers in 2004. By 2006, the game had more than 6 million subscribers a year after launch. By 2007, they climbed up to over 8. Burning Crusade launched. It climbed during the Burning Crusade from 8 million to over 10, probably in like the 11 or 12 region. And then the Wrath of the Lich King, it hit its high point and plateau right at the end on, at the Cataclysm launch. In 2000, at the end of 2010, about 12 million subscribers. And since then, slow decline, through Cataclysm, further decline through Mists, and then a big drop during Warlords. And people will look at this graph and they'll try to think about, well, what changed in the game? 
what is was wrong or right with the game that made this happen? And a lot of the, the calls to republish World of Warcraft vanilla as a classic came from this conversation, I think. But like I mentioned, I want to talk about externalities. So here's my primitive attempt at doing some Photoshopping work. What I'm doing here is overlaying a second graph on top of the subscriber chart. And it's the chart of the percentage of US households that have adopted internet on a year by year basis. In 2000, 1% of US households had internet. 1%. I was in that 1%. I was a geek. By 2005, just a couple months after WoW's launch, sorry, when WoW launched, that number had climbed to 24% of US households with internet. And if you are watching this on YouTube or in another visual medium, you'll see that the percentage of US households climbs in a way that is roughly correlated with the number of subscribers from Vanilla through Burning Crusade and up through Wrath of the Lich King and into Early Cataclysm, right to that peak. So the argument I'm trying to suggest here is that there was big things going on outside of World of Warcraft that powered it up at this time. Lots and lots of people we're getting broadband internet at home. And for the first time, we're able to have experiences like playing a game like World of Warcraft. The world was changing. It's like if you plant a bunch of flower beds and flowers come up, are you surprised? No. But if there's no flowers and there's no flower beds, we should acknowledge that. By World of Warcraft's height in subscribers in 2010 and 11, the percentage of U.S. households with broadband internet had climbed to about 62, 65-ish percent. Since in the last decade, since then, it's gone from 62 to 75%. Not moved much since then. U.S at home internet broadband adoption over the course of World of Warcraft's ascent was reaching its saturation point. And when it finally got very close to that saturation point is around the same time when WoW subscriptions started to fail. There is a correlation we can draw here that as new people were getting internet, there's a percentage of those people that were trying World of Warcraft and going in and out of the revolving door. And when, when that revolving door, people getting internet slowed down, so too did World of Warcraft subscribers. But that's not all. I overlaid some kind of significant events on the chart here now. We'll go through it chronologically. When World of Warcraft vanilla came out, YouTube didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. Smartphones as we know them didn't exist. Video streaming didn't exist. It was a completely different world. 
the ability to log in to a virtual world to connect with your friends was incredibly different from what people were able to do with the technology before. Having a game with that kind of broad adoption was enormous. I think of all my friends these days who play Call of Duty. I have so many friends who play this game and that game and Call of Duty. And it's like the game that they connect with their, with their IRL friends over. But World of Warcraft was that for a lot of people back then. It was the bridge between the nerds and the people who were helping nerd culture become mainstream. 2005, YouTube came out. 2006, Facebook and Twitter. 2007, the iPhone. And within a year, the iPhone overtook World of Warcraft in terms of unit adoption. In 2009, some of the very first broadly distributed games on mobile took hold. Armville and Angry Birds, a couple of examples. 2009 was Wrath of the Lich King around the time of that plateau. You see, the world is changing as World of Warcraft is leveling off. And in 2007, 2007, 2011, right at the start of the dip of WoW subs comes Twitch. The greatest change to online gaming community that probably has happened in the last decade is the ability to connect over games without actually being logged into one. Twitch wasn't hugely accepted or broadly known at the time, but it creeped over time. It became more and more what it is today. I also have a few significant MMO releases peppered in, this, in here to indicate the increase of refined MMO experiences that can compete with World of Warcraft. Not necessarily by doing what WoW does better, by out-designing it, but by giving it something of a different thing. Experiences that may, may be better in some ways and less, less better in others. Lord of the Rings Online, 2006. 2012, the year of the MMO. Final Fantasy, Realm Reborn, Guild Wars 2, Star Wars Guild Republic, 2014, Elder Scrolls Online, 2015, Black Desert Online. All these games are still running today. Still have a comfortable niche of players. And they have, been, they have not competed with World of Warcraft up until recent times. Where Final Fantasy has hit the afterburner. But is Final Fantasy a WoW killer? I guess it probably, I guess it could be. But based on the criteria that I'm examining here, I'm going to suggest that it's not. To sum this up, the world rapidly changed at the time when World of Warcraft was coming out on its first few expansions to enable its growth. And the world continued to rapidly change, making World of Warcraft less and less relevant over time. And that's not about how it's designed. You can't design a better World of Warcraft to solve these problems. Externalities. Unexamined by gamers. But they shouldn't be. Over this course of time, MMORPGs have become a mature genre. I think Grex Lloyd was saying it earlier that you just can't make better versions of these games to displace them. But the genre is mature. Whenever Quest came out, MMORPGs were not a mature genre. 
they were ripe for maturation. Look at the battle royale genre right now. Think about the story of games like, you know, Arma 3, um, H1Z1, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Fortnite. There's a story there that sounds a little bit similar to this. I guess what I'm going to suggest here is that although what people want is to be part of a cultural revolution looking for a WoW killer, I don't think we should look to MMORPGs to find such a thing. In fact, the next cultural revolution that looks like World of Warcraft is probably going to look nothing like World of Warcraft. And that's what I think about WoW killers. Rexaloid, they didn't scream like that for the Esprit Saga announcement. Boy, howdy, did they not. I did not. Farm cheese. Son Goku is going to be playing New World for 120 hours straight. Of course he is. Son Goku is a streamer, boy. Uh, New World is the thing on the tip of the tongue, and for me too. I'm going to be getting up early tomorrow to roll. I'm really excited about it. Producer Kai, he grew up geek and you grew up Deeg. <laughs> Deeg was the 1%. In 2000, I was. Grex, you were what people would call a toddler when this game came out. It'll be interesting to compare this graph with Google Trends. Yeah. Yeah, and if I were better at data visualization, I might have done that too. As you can see, this is mainly done in paint. Okay, let's move right along, talk about some news. News! The only thing that's important right now for me for news is New World. It's coming out tomorrow. Um, I guess I can briefly talk about my plans to engage with it. So um, I, there was a time where I was weighing the possibility of, you know, take, picking up the banner, leading the charge, and creating a company in New World. And um, I've decided I'm not going to do that. Um, I think that that's a game for streamers and young men and women and people who have a lot more time to burn than I unfortunately can manage. Um, I will be playing it with some, with an IRL buddy. And if anyone wants to come play, um, join the discord. I'll be coordinating there for the most part. Uh, I, my guess is we'll probably find a company on, on, on the West coast server we pick to play with. So if you want to stay in tune with that, join the discord. It's active every single day talking about uh, the world, the mind, health, and of course, gaming. But I'm super excited about New World, guys, um, guys and gals. It's, uh, I've talked a lot about it in other content, so I'm not going to beat that drum too much harder. But it feels like a nice, um, it feels refreshing in a lot of ways. But going back to the title of the podcast, I don't think it'll be a wow killer. Okay, some notes. So, on the business side of things, um, 
I took some advice from my wife and after talking to some of y'all and I've decided to not create two separate podcast feeds, one for the interviews and one for these solo discussion podcasts, but I'm smooshing them all together. So they'll all be in one place. If you want to listen to this podcast in places like iTunes, Spotify, if you want to hear this anywhere else, drop me a note. I'll be happy to get things listed. But um, I just don't. I tend to go to YouTube for everything, so I'm not aware of a lot of these other platforms. Um, in terms of what's coming up, um, I have a bunch of guests that I'm working with scheduling right now. It may not seem like a lot's going on there because I haven't announced much, but I'm sending back messages back and forth every single day with a few different folks I'm really excited to talk to. My overall focus is I'm trying to um, uh, not just kind of go dip back into the well of familiarity. I'm really trying to expand my horizons in terms of guests and the topics we can talk about. And um, next year, I'm going to be, tr uh, with the idea of working up the courage so next year I can seriously evolve the content and take on bigger and broader topics and guests. So um, as usual, stay tuned for that. Uh, one of the other big things I'm going to be trying to work on um, is marketing the content. So currently my YouTube is sitting at um, just under 700 subscribers. And I kind of have this unstated goal that I'd really like to hit a thousand by the end of the year. So I'm going to be trying to work on ways to get more eyeballs on the content. So if you guys have any suggestions, if y'all have any suggestions about um, how I can do that or about places to market and present my content that I might not be aware of. I'm up for any and all suggestions. Look, I'm a work in progress. I could use all the help I can get. So, um, and I think what you can look forward to in the near future is me trying to put out some good juicy clips from some of the conversations we've had. Um, I still would love the idea of doing scripted produced YouTube content um, to get my messages out there. But as of right now, with my full-time job and my other concerns, it remains beyond the horizons of space-time for me. So we're going to be working on uh, trying to get bigger and better. Uh, speaking of getting bigger and better, it's apparently hiring season in my industry, so which is biz tech, roughly. So um, I've been pretty busy responding to and talking to a bunch of potential employers. Um, it may amount to nothing, but it's keep me pretty busy for the short term. Um, I don't know why I brought it up, but just keep me pretty busy. Seems relevant. And uh, speaking of compensation and employment i have added a new tier to the patreon so if you if you're plugged into my patreon at all and if you're not that's fine too you um will have noted a, a post that i made um a few weeks ago a couple weeks ago now where i said that what i'm going to be doing here is taking all the incentives that i have with the patreon which is um, access to the, to the producer's channel on my Discord, where I talk about a lot of kind of inside baseball stuff and um, getting your credits in the podcast. It's basically a way to throw me a few bones and say, hey, I like what you do. I believe in the future of what you're doing and the messages that you're putting out there. 
and I want to see more of it. Um, what I really hope is for anyone who goes to my Patreon is that you uh, don't just like what I'm doing now, but are kind of of a mind to see where this is going to go. Because I'm really trying to, as time goes on, make my life more and more about this stuff. This is what makes my heart beat, what makes me tick. And I added a new tier. Can I show this here? Yeah, yeah, here are the tiers. I added the elite tier, baby. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. So for 1337, 1337 per month, you can become an elite on the Patreon. Become a heavy, a keeper of the old ways, an elite. Mess with the best, die like the rest. Little hacker's quote for y'all. So just want to make sure people know about that. And if that interests you, go check it out. Patreon.com slash deeg thoughts. Producer Kai, you need to tell us to smash the like button, subscribe, and ring the bell. I should do that. I really should do that. Why don't I? I think it's because I've heard too many people whose content I don't respect do that. And it's hard for me to associate myself with that. <laughs> no, please don't. Yeah, I mean, you're making the argument for me. This is your safe space. Exactly. Look, the favor that I'm trying to do everyone who hears my voice is to not treat anyone here like a child who's just trying to find a new toy. Treating everyone here like the adults we are. If you want to subscribe, you know how to do that. I don't need to tell you. But continuing the trend from last time, I'm going to send off the podcast on a sort of personal anecdote. On a, <laughs> a little tiny story from my life about me trying to work on myself and improve something. And this is a little bit of an embarrassing one, but I think some people will find it interesting. So, fuck it. Let's talk about cookies. Chocolate chip cookies are my number one most dangerous food. If there are chocolate chip cookies around me, and I'm not socially accountable for what happens to them, they're gone, man. They are eliminated. I am an efficient chocolate chip cookie killer. So how do I deal with this vulnerability? I keep them the fuck away from me. Greg Sloyd, you could have guessed. Right, who would have thought? <laughs> but what you might not know is that I'm actually, I've been working really hard on my weight for the last few months. And I've had some success. I've lost like, um, how much have I lost? Like 15, 20 pounds, something like that. I'm making progress, y'all. But last week, I had a lapse. I had a big lapse. I bought, at the Safeway nearby, I bought one of those boxes of like obnoxiously large chocolate chunk cookies from the bakery, 12 of them. These things are big enough that, I mean, they're, they're as big as this coaster and actually probably heavier than this coaster. I found the cookie jar and I felt the first couple felt amazing and then every single one after that felt less amazing up to the point of feeling terrible. Made myself sick. 
So the next day I asked myself, why did I do this? Grexel White observing I'm American as well. Yeah, well, there's a whole separate rant I can go down about the food options we have in America. They feed us stuff that you can barely call food here most places you go. It's surprising how easy it is to put crap inside your body here in the U.S. So why did I do this? I've been pretty good about not binging on carbs like cookies in the past. And I thought about it and I realized, well, I tend to make bad food decisions when I haven't slept enough and there's a little bit of an external stressor in my life. Because what is food to me? It's a, an answer, it's a solution to a problem. A feeling too stressed, a feeling too bad. It's economically optimal to feed corn syrup to your population, says Greg Saloid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those corn subsidies coming back to bite us. So why didn't I get good enough sleep this week? I thought about it. Well, one thing is I drink a lot of caffeine during the day. I like my coffee and my other dalliance. My other thing that I allow myself is Diet Coke, which is caffeinated. Most nights I'll drink caffeine up to 8, 9, 10 p.m. at night before I try to go to bed at midnight. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got to walk this back. I have to reduce my caffeine consumption and certainly stop drinking it so late. But in order to save myself from the difficult choice of drinking soda or not drinking soda, um, I made a couple changes. Number one, whenever I have food, I'm drinking water instead of soda. And number two, I got myself a whole bunch of decaf Diet Coke, which I had to go out and find. Why am I sharing this with y'all? Who gives a shit? Well, I think that making these kinds of changes is actually kind of hard. But I think it is the stuff of life. Especially if you're a person who feels inexperienced or doesn't have direction. You just make 10,000 of these changes, and you become a person who looks nothing like what you would have been. And that's what I've been doing to, to make my weight loss work. There's a whole other story I can tell about the exercise routine I'm doing. But anyway, I got decaf soda, and I realized that part of the problem is I tend not to set my alarm for the morning until I go to bed, which means I have this experience where I go to bed, and I realize, oh, fuck, I've got to be up in six hours. So I've started setting my alarm for the next day for when to wake up when I had dinner the previous night instead of at bedtime so I can think a little more clearly about when I should be calling it at night. I'm doing that for the last two nights, and it seems to be working. I'm going to try that this week. I pulled this uh, little anecdote of mine out of the Discord. Again, it's kind of like a hub for me. So if you give a shit about my cookie habits, and if you don't, I don't blame you. Check out the Discord. I love talking about all things health and related to the mind, and I have a whole section of the Discord called Academy, where we talk about world issues and um, kind of mental and philosophical issues and physical health issues. Because although I am occupied with games, I believe that games are a gateway to something else. And that thing is a human thing. So we got to deal with our bodies along the way. But anyway, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. This has been Deeg and... Uh,
You can find my podcast here on Twitch for now, on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, many other places. Follow me on Twitter. Do all the things. As producer Kai would say, just kidding, Kai. I love y'all, and I'll catch you next time. Peace.